big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Laura, Hilda, Frankie, Jenna, and Joanne. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes, bonus episodes, and more, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 31 and 32 of Emma. If you have never used a tushy or a bidet, I like, I used to be afraid of them, and I hate to start the episode with butthole talk again, but your butt will thank you. When I used one for the first time, I was like, oh, okay, we we are disgusting as a culture. Right. Like, your butt feels so clean after you've done it. Yeah. Just the ability to, like, wash your ass immediately after pooping. It's such a it's such a journey. It's such a, such a game changer. And it really saves a lot of toilet paper. It does. And not only that, you just feel better. Like... You feel more hygienic. It's great. Yeah. And I, and I, the first time, okay, I'll tell you the story about the first time I used a tushy and then we will get right into the chapters. Okay. <laughs> um, but the first time I used a tushy was like maybe my third date with Mel is the first time going over to her house and I arrived and we ordered food and we were going to watch Star Wars and I, she was setting up the food and I had to go to the bathroom and I was like, oh my gosh, look, it's a tushy. And she was like, yeah, you should try it. And I was like, well, I, I, it was too early for me to poop at her house, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> obviously. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to go poop. And she was like, just try it anyway. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'm scared. I'm scared. And I used it. And she was in the kitchen and I'm in the bathroom and I just screamed. <laughs> I was like, ah! <laughs> oh no, we spiked so bad. Sorry, Graham. Sorry, Graham. That was worth it though. Yeah. I just screamed and she's like, you Okay. <laughs> Listeners, if you're wondering how to snag a lady, Molly has just told you. (laughs) This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen and not buttholes. (laughs) Literally every episode, we start with some sort of butt conversation. There's a lot to talk about. (laughs) There really is. It's a complex thing. So specifically, we're here to talk about Emma. Emma! Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen books through my lifetime. And I, Molly, am reading Jane Austen for the first time through this podcast. If you want to listen to Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can listen to seasons one and two of this podcast respectively, but that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we're talking about volume two, chapters 13 and 14, or if your book is not broken up into volumes, that would be chapters 31 and 32 of Emma. And we're going to call these Meet the Eltons. (laughs) Yes, Meet the Eltons. So, Becca, do we want to tell the listeners where we left off? Uh, Sure. So we were going to have the Blue Ball Ball in Highbury. And then Frank Churchill got called away by his aunt, who was sick and also being petty. And Emma and Frank said goodbye to each other. And as they said goodbye... Frank and Emma shared a little bit of a tense moment, leaving Emma sort of wondering where she and Frank stand at this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Emma has decided that she's in love. And that's where we start this set of chapters. So <laughs> what, what, what? I just I just like love the beginning of this chapter. It's so good. It's so good. And also, honestly, pretty relatable. Just like the overthinking of it all. Just also like the idea of like when anybody has a crush, it's like one of those things where you're either the type of person who's like shoves it down and you're like, no, I don't want that crush. Or you're the type of person you start putting on makeup, you like doll up a little bit and you're like, "Mm, I'm feeling good. I could I'm thinking about my crush. It's feeling good. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And Where I, would Emma fall on that spectrum? Oh, Emma's like hardcore luxuriating in her crush right now. She is, but she's also like, but it's not so bad. She's like, it's not the end-all be-all crush. Yeah, she's basically like, ooh, I'm definitely in love with him, but also could never picture marrying him. Yeah, so basically she's like, okay, I'm in love, but on the one hand, I can't stop thinking about him. On the other hand, I'm like fine. I'm fine now that he's gone. I am perfectly happy without him here. So she starts like thinking like, you know, I can see his flaws. I think about a thousand different ways that I'll see him again, but all of those ways end with me turning him down. So she's fantasizing about turning him down. You know how you like always rehearse having conversations in the shower? Yes. She is fantasizing about the forbidden love conversation that she and Frank will have where she's going to be like, oh, Frank, you know, think I don't feel what you feel, but no, I will never marry. Yeah. Love me from afar forever. I know. She's really, she wants him, she wants him to want her. Oh, yeah. She needs him to need her. Didn't she see him crying? Didn't she see him crying? (laughs) She thinks that even though she's like, she knows she was already predetermined that she would not marry but she thinks that if the attachment was like really strong it would at least feel like a sacrifice to not marry him so she doesn't think she can be too in love just enough she thinks like this is the perfect level of being in love there's something she says later where she says um they say everyone's in love once in their life and I'll have been let off easy which I think is funny yeah she's like this is this is the ideal love of my life she's like my happiness isn't too tied to it exactly (laughs) Which, you know, maybe tells her something, but, you know. But she doesn't really, Emma doesn't really get it yet. No, she does not. (laughs) On the other hand, she feels very certain that he is very in love. And she knows that when they meet again, she'll have to be very careful not to encourage him. She thinks that he couldn't possibly have thought that she was encouraging him because if he had... His behavior when they parted would have been different. My question is, didn't he try to say something and she kind of shut it down? Well, yeah, but he accepted that as well. Sure. And so she's basically saying like, oh, if he'd really loved me, he would have fought harder, you know? Emma. This is some game playing. Yeah. This is like, we were talking about this last night. This is like that um, very heteronormative guy pays on the first date dance that a lot of girls do on dates where like, when the bill comes, everyone pulls out their wallet and the girl offers to pay. And the idea is that girls are like, I always offer to pay, but if he lets me pay, that's a red flag, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But men are very confused by that because they, they usually like a lot of people do insist on paying on a first date, which, you know, is very like nice. It's polite. It's very heteronormative, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, But <laughs> like the fact that it, it's like, you have to offer to pay, but if the guy lets you, then it's a no-no. So, like, it's a false promise. Right. But it's it's this type of, like, thinking of, like, the etiquette of what I have to do, but the way you have to fight what I have to do right. is inherent in the way Emma's talking about all this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's annoying and cringy. <laughs> but funny. It's funny. Oh, yes. Because Jane Austen is making a lot of fun of Emma in this part of the book. Yes, very much so. She does think it's possible that when he returns, he won't still be in love with her because he's not the most consistent. Um, The exact quote is, I do not altogether build upon his constancy, which I think is a good way to sum up Frank Churchill. So he writes a letter to Mrs. Weston and Emma gets to read it and it gives her butterflies and she's like, oh, crap. (laughs) Um. It's a long, well-written letter, and I wanted to draw back our attention to the letter that Mr. Martin wrote Harriet, Mm -hmm. which was a briefer letter, and Emma thought that it was good that it was brief. She was like, we don't want a letter to be too long. Especially if a man wrote it. Yes, like like Mr. Elton's Mm -hmm. poetry, for example. Yes. Um, She said, brief is good, like brief, succinct. Now, this is a long letter. Well, if you notice, Frank Churchill has this thing where he gets away with not following etiquette because he's so charming. And Mm. that's kind of another little quirk here where the letter's long. But Emma's like, oh, but it's so well written and it's so dreamy because it's Frank writing it. Mm -hmm. She's a little blinded by her crush. Mm -hmm. Also, just that's how Frank is. He's just the type of person. That's why Knightley hates him. Yeah. It's like he gets away with whatever he wants to do. So true. Mm -hmm. It says that there were no suspicious flourishes of apology or concern in the letter. Now, 
shouldn't there be a little bit like a little bit of like I'm sorry I had to leave so soon and like I hope everyone's okay because it sounds like he didn't really do that (laughs) no I think he just was basically saying like oh god I miss you stepmother you're so much more fun than being at my aunt's house. Complain, and, complain, complain. But like polite complain. Yeah, yeah. Point. Uh, Jane Austen makes a point of saying like he refrains from saying too much. Wrong. For sure. Although that's Emma's reading of it. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Unreliable narrator. But basically complimenting Mrs. Weston and how lovely her home is. And then also dropping in little things about Emma in a letter to Mrs. Weston, which Frank would probably know that she would share with Emma. <laughs> Right. She's like counting how many times he said Miss Woodhouse in the letter. And the best part of the letter to her was that he mentioned he hadn't gotten a chance to say goodbye to, quote, Miss Woodhouse's beautiful little friend. And uh, Emma's little fucking matchmaker switch just goes. <laughs> to be fair, so did mine. Um, I was like, hmm. Hmm, because you know how I've been like this whole time, I've kind of been like, does he really like Emma or is she misreading the situation? And I see where this is going, but I also see an alternative path where like he liked Harriet the whole time, but he's actually a mess and he was like trying to get close to Emma to get close to Harriet. Like a reverse Elton. Yes. Yes. Like a reverse Elton. (laughs) So this turns on Emma's matchmaker brain and she's like, hmm, interesting so at the end of the letter Emma still feels like you know what I could do without Frank he's I still love him but I'm fine also and I kind of just want to make sure he's happy in the future and I know that won't be with me and she knows she shouldn't try to match make them but she also is kind of like Frank thinks that Harriet's beautiful and and Harriet has the quote probability of connection meaning that like she could be well connected potentially and for Harriet this is obviously a great match and for Emma it would firmly friend zone Frank so like she wouldn't have to worry about it anymore yeah the idea of oh I have a baby crush on him but you know what I should do set him up with my best friend this to me was like at least my dear Eliza's his wife at least I keep his eyes in my life. It's a little less self-sacrificing, though, because Emma has made it so clear how, like, not even for a second does she want to marry Frank for Churchill. Sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. So she wants to wait to do anything about this because Mr. Elton's wedding date has been named and Harriet's a wreck. Um, and everyone's talking about, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Elton, Mr. Elton and his wife, blah, 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 blah. And Harriet's just like... So she doesn't think now's the best time to start yeah. matchmaking. Her. Time and a place. Yeah. Emma spends all of her time comforting Harriet. And I really loved this quote. It says, but it was heavy work to be forever convincing without producing any effect, forever agreed to without being able to make their opinions the same. You know when your friend doesn't hate her ex? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because then she's like, oh, he just doesn't love me. He just, oh, God, what if he... What if he doesn't have any feelings for me anymore? And you're just like, it's irrelevant whether or not he has feelings for you because he's a turd monster. Right. Stop caring. Right. So so being the person who always needs convincing but never is convinced, um, <laughs> for me, I'm, this like made me think of like, you know how I'm a hypochondriac? Yes. So I'll be like, <laughs> but I feel a tickle in my throat. And Mel's like, but you haven't seen anyone in the last week. And I'll be like, no, I know. And I took a COVID test and it was negative. But still, like, what if I have COVID? And she's like, well, you don't have COVID. You just took a COVID test and you don't have it. And I'll be like, but what about this tickle in my throat? No, no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. And then I'll like call my mom and I'll be like, mom, do you think I'm okay? And Mel's like, I just told you that you were okay. <laughs> This is so me and Mike as well. I've, I've, I am the Mel and he is yeah. the Molly and the situation. And I think this is maybe listeners tell us if this is a universal couple thing, but like Michael just be like, I just feel like bleh this morning. What if I have, what if I have COVID? I, I don't want to be sick because I, you know, I got to run this week and all that. And I'm always just like, honey, you, you get headaches when the air pressure changes outside. And you have allergies. Remember these things before you jump to conclusions. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can never breathe out of my nose, but uh, I always will like be like, I can't breathe out of my nose. And I was like, you can never breathe out of your nose. And I'm like, but what if I'm sick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that is a universal couple thing where one is a hypochondriac and one is fine. Yeah. And one is like, you're not sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Anyway, um, so relatable content. Then Emma changes tactics on how to convince Harriet. And she's like, Harriet, you being so sad about Mr. Elton getting married is an attack on me because I know it's my fault and you don't have to rub it in. And Harriet's like, oh, my God, what? I, I, be mean to Emma? How, how dare I? Fall on her own sword rather than even make Emma slightly uncomfortable. But what's wild is that Emma then is like, I'm not saying you should talk about him less for my sake. And it's like, you kind of did just say that. But now you're just like trying to make it seem like you didn't. Um, Honestly, like, though, I, I sympathize with Emma here because like whatever tactic you get to where you can like move someone forward past like obsessing about something is like it's a decent tactic fair fair and it does work in this case yes because Harriet is like um you who have been the best friend I ever had in my life want gratitude to you nobody is equal to you I care for nobody as I do for you gay gay also I kind of love the next section where Emma talks about how sweet Harriet is yes it is very sweet and it's really nice because she compares Harriet to her sister and her father Mm -hmm. and it's just like she she just loves herself some sweet people with empty heads. Yeah, she said that she she thinks that there's no charm better than tenderness of heart. And she says, quote, I would not change you for the clearest-headed, longest-sighted, best-judging female breathing. Oh, the coldness of Jane Fairfax. Harriet is worth a hundred such. Why drag Jane into it again? <laughs> well, Emma's always thinking about yeah. Jane because gay. Gay. Um, but she says, I mentioned no names, but happy is the man who changes Emma for Harriet. Mentions no names. Okay, Emma. Yeah. Um, so that's the end of that chapter. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Which brings us to chapter 14. The arrival of Mrs. Elton. Oh, and here she is, Augusta herself. Emma decides that she doesn't want to be the last person to visit, and she wants to bring Harriet with her. Now, I know that she wants to get it over with, but like, I just feel like that is setting yourself up for something very awkward. She has to for etiquette's sake. I know, but why? Oh, I don't know. I would definitely procrastinate it. I'm I'm thinking about like if you're in like a class with someone and it's like the first day of school and it's awkward because you've like fought or something. Mm-hmm. Like, do you break the tension early or just ignore them and go sit on the other side of the class as long well, as you can? I know that Emma has to go. And Emma has like the self... Um, Possession. Possession, thank you. To go and do it without feeling too much about it. Even though like when she goes there, she's like, oh my God, I can't help but remember every little thing that happened here. But bringing Harriet, who she knows is going to stand there like frozen for the entire time and then go home and cry for three hours. Well, the thing is that because of where they live, Harriet is going to run into the Eltons anyway. So I think 
better to do it on her own terms. Emma is like, it's better to do it when I'm there, break the ice soon, and then Harriet can like just live her life and just ignore them and Mm -hmm. like we'll have like taken away the first sting, which what what is remove the sting from like the I'm going to make a like a lawyer reference here. So like there's like a tactic in lawyering at trial where if you have bad evidence that you know is going to like be presented by the other side, you present it first in your on your own terms to like remove the sting of the bad evidence. Mm-hmm. And so that when the other side brings it up, it's not the first time the jury's hearing about it. So they they're not getting it first from like a shocking perspective of the other side. They got the context from right. the it's side like- you want. So Emma's saying basically I want to remove the sting. It's going to be awful no matter what. But at least this way it can be a short visit. It's polite. It's the right thing to do like society wise and then we can just get Harriet out of there. And next time she sees them, she'll have already seen them. Right. It's not like she's just going to run into them at the store like she did with the Martins. Exactly. Yeah. So um, Emma decides that she does not like Mrs. Elton. She says, I won't hurry to find fault with her, but and then she starts naming things. She lacks elegance. And uh, she thinks that Mr. Elton, on the other hand, is super awkward. But Emma gives him the benefit of the doubt. Because he's in a room with the woman he just married, the woman he wanted to marry, and the woman who wanted to marry him. My favorite line of this entire thing is Emma, like, talking about the flashbacks she's going to experience in this house. Yeah. Let me see if I can find the line. I highlighted it because it was so funny. Yeah, this whole section is very funny. She could not enter the house again, could not be in the same room to which she had with such vain artifice retreated three months ago to lace up her boot without recollecting. And Jane Austen italicizes recollecting and it just feeling Emma's own ick for her own actions feeling her like like cringe yeah. on like everything she did is so funny because we cringed when she did it when yeah. it happened from now on when I'm cringing about something that happened in the past I'm gonna say I'm recollecting could not help recollecting <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no she's having a time yeah so this is just like a mess all over the place she also like pre-decides basically how she's gonna feel about mrs elton and what she's gonna say to harriet as she's meeting her she's Mm -hmm. like i'm not gonna say too much i'm i'm just gonna say she's she's very nicely dressed that's gonna be my what i've decided about Mm -hmm. her in advance so they leave and harriet asks emma what she thinks about mrs elton and she says as she planned to She's very pleasing and very nicely dressed. And Harriet's like, it's no wonder Elton fell in love with her. And Emma's like, no, she has a fortune. She's like, yeah, of course he fell in love with her. He fell in love with the pile of money they sleep on now. Right. And Harriet's like, well, it's obvious that Mrs. Elton is attracted to Mr. Elton. And Emma says she thinks he she was attracted to his his home and like that he was going to give her a good home. And she's so sassy. She says something along the lines of like, you know, some men aren't meant to marry women who love them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes women just want a man who will take care of them. Yeah. Basically, she's saying that these two are resigned to a life without love. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. And um, Harriet says she hopes that they're going to be very happy and now she can be around them without being sad, like you were saying. To me, this is very Jane Bennett. I'm fine. <laughs> This is fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> it's like that. I did a reel with this a while ago. It's like Ross's voice. I'm fine. I don't know why I came out all squeaky like that because I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. But Harriet says she's happy that he's happy. And she thinks it's very sweet that he called her Augusta. Now, was it like very unusual for men to call women by their first names? I don't know that it's very unusual. Um, some men in this time period certainly did call their wives by like Mrs. Elton or Mrs. whatever Bennett. in front of like other people mm-hmm. as well. Um, as we know from that deleted scene in 2005, Pride and Prejudice. Yes. But like, um, I guess in, in this case, like the Eltons are very informal and we'll get to this in a little bit, but like mrs elton is pretty informal and emma doesn't like that so Mm -hmm. i think that that also like harriet's like oh it's so sweet that he's calling her augusta and emma's probably thinking that's not formal i couldn't tell if it was that or mr elton it being sweet that her name is augusta i couldn't tell it's like cute that her name is what her name is yeah it's like oh like he he would call her augusta like that's so like delightful like 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 oh it's so cute that i call you becca like i i guess It was a weird thing to focus on. Yeah, Harriet's weird. Yeah. Then the Eltons visit Emma, 
and Harriet's not around, so Emma's able to form her, like, full opinion of Mrs. Elton. And she decides that she's vain, she has bad manners, and, like I said, she's too familiar. She thinks, quote, her notions were drawn from one set of people and one style of living. And I thought, I feel like Emma also has that problem. Hers are just a different set of people and a different style of living. Like, she really thinks that, like, people should live how she lives. But I suppose her society is a little bit more varied. Like, she sees the Bateses. She hangs out with Harriet. Um, she knows Mr. Knightley. Like, she has kind of a range, but not that wide of a range. We're going to talk about this more in the study questions. Okay, great. But, yeah, there, I mean, there is some instances in this chapter where Jane Austen kind of shows what Emma dislikes about Mrs. Elton, and it gives the reader a moment to be like, hmm, interesting. Interesting, Emma. Interesting coming from Emma making those criticisms, and this is a first instance of one of those. I'm so glad I caught it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Emma thinks that Harriet would have made a better match for Mr. Elton and that Elton only married her, Miss, Miss Hawkins, for her rich brother-in-law. Mrs. Elton won't shut up about Maple Grove, which is her brother-in-law's place, and his name is Mr. Suckling. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Mr. Suckling. Mr. Suckling at Maple Grove. Yeah, and you know Mr. Suckling sucks. He's sucklings. Yeah, more like sucklings. Also, like, um, we've gotten some, like, emails about Mrs. Elton recently, which I think are super interesting, and mm. our DMs as well. I don't know if you've caught them. But we talked about her um, being, like, from New Money and her dad being, like, a lowly tradesman or, like, mm-hmm. a de- devalued tradesman, and maybe that was Emma being an unreliable narrator. Some of our listeners have pointed out the way it's phrased, it might indicate that um, Mrs. Elton's father made his money in the slave trade. Oh, yeah, I did see those. Which was highly disfavored politically and... As it should be. <laughs> morally in this time period, particularly, like, if you kind of parse through the way Jane Austen feels about these things lightly um you know it means that she's just being like this fucking girl made her fortune in like human pain and suffering so fuck her yeah Um, so it's like I it didn't occur to me while we were like reading through it the first time but it is like an interesting take on where Mrs. Elton's coming from Mm -hmm. and also gives you more fodder to side with Emma on the whole thing because fuck that yeah speaking of things that our listeners sent us a couple people sent this in after our last episode so I just wanted to bring it up Mm -hmm. when we were talking about the number of couples and I was like weren't they gonna invite the Coles like why didn't they invite the Bates why didn't they mention these people it's because they were talking about couples that would actually dance oh yes yes so they were like okay like five couples can dance but like everyone all the older people were still going to be invited mm-hmm. so it's just for the young people to dance that makes sense yeah yeah so anyway thanks to our listeners who sent that in yeah I wasn't sure how old the Coles are supposed to be though I think the Coles were probably like one generation not one generation but probably like in their 30s or 40s and I guess past 30 you don't dance anymore right well <laughs> because people only live to like 60 I think that's a misconception, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Mr. Bennett was pretty old, so. Yeah. But he wouldn't dance. It's true. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, Jane Austen, but this one. As soon as Mrs. Elton walks into Hartfield, she goes on about how much it reminds her of Maple Grove and how lovely it is to be somewhere that reminds her so much of Maple Grove. Um, she says something annoying, which is, whenever you are transplanted like me, Miss Woodhouse, you will understand how very delightful it is to meet with anything at all like what one has left behind. So you know what I love about this scene? Mm. It is so modern to be presented with a smug married couple. Mm. Like from Bridget Jones, shouts to Sequoia, the part where she goes to the dinner party with the quote smug marrieds, mm-hmm. the smug married couples. And She's just like, they're all just like, ah, oh, but you're single. Don't worry. You'll get someone soon. Yeah. And meanwhile, Mrs. Elton is like, I don't know. I think she's being shady as shit here. I think she's like really trying to undermine Emma because she feels threatened and competitive. That's interesting. I feel like I, I can't tell what she's doing. So what makes you say that? I feel like she just keeps... um making like backhanded compliments to Emma mm-hmm. like oh you'll leave soon enough and you'll understand what it's like to go somewhere where you're looking for the house that reminds you of home like I am and mm-hmm. oh you and your father 
Um, I, I don't think there's anything worse than staying in one place at one time. But yes, you that was your, shady. Yeah, but oh, you and your father are different, obviously. You're just quiet. Maybe you guys should go to Bath because of your father's mm, health. It would be the best. But mm, maybe for you, I could I could introduce you to society. You get so little of it here. Mm-hmm. Like, just like such girl mean. Yes. Exuding out. No, she's being an absolute jerk. But what's interesting about this whole conversation, which you pretty much summarized very nicely, um, is that she also is like making it clear that like, I mean, I guess in a backhanded way, she's like making fun of Emma for not being married. But at the same time, she's also being like, oh, but you know, married women don't have time for anything. And like, I hope I don't miss my music too much. And like, just like talking about how shitty it is being married. No, these are again, backhanded ways of boosting herself up in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's like, oh, wow. The beautiful pursuit of music. I mean, I won't have time for that now that I'm married. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm so busy and so important because I'm married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess so. I do read it that way. And I also am reading that, like, she's not thrilled about being married. She's just in it because she wants to be able to do that. See, yeah, that's a question I have for you in the study questions. Is Are the Eltons, like, happy we can talk about it now are the Elvitons like a happy married couple no or are they um or this strikes me as the type of girl who like not to be super judgmental but the type of girl who's take pictures of her engagement ring everywhere she goes Mm -hmm. like and does everything like I'm engaged I'm engaged I'm engaged and it's like we get it you're fucking engaged do you know the Instagram account not engaged? Yes, that's exactly what it's making fun of. It's yeah. like a girl who posts a photo of her hand without a wedding, without an engagement ring on it everywhere she goes. It's the obsessed with the idea of winning that battle that is prevalent in Jane Austen novels because obviously, as we've discussed, hello, economics of dating in Jane Austen, Graham, the sound effect. It is an economic one for these women as well as sort of a societal win, but even today when we have our own money, there is still society points to get from getting that square ticked off on your bingo card, mm-hmm. getting married. Mm-hmm. And not a great reason to get married mm-hmm. generally. And here there are other reasons to get married other than being in love. But it's the obsession with being married that is so grating about Mrs. Elton. And it doesn't have anything to do with who Mr. Elton is. It has to do with the fact that she's, you know, won a lottery because she's found a good man and she has, they have their own little thief dome in the church and he's got his own little house in like this little society. And it's a little bit, you know, maybe she wants to be like her sister and marry someone super rich and have like that big a fancy manner. She probably does. But what she got was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, now she just wants to show it off to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's exactly it. I think that she would have married whoever asked with a good uh, house and a, and a substantial enough amount of money. Well, I mean, on the other hand, Mr. Elton would have married anybody with a substantial amount of money. Correct. Because he wants to support himself in a certain lifestyle and he has a certain level of prestige and connections because he's in a gentleman's profession. Mm -hmm. He's from a good family. But what he doesn't have is an inheritance necessarily. Right. That's going to make him an heir to something right away. Right. Which is why he first went for Emma. And when that didn't work out, he found the first person who would have him. And unbelievably, though, this is like it shows because. She's rich the way Emma's rich, not maybe not quite as rich as Emma is, yeah. but she has a lot of money, which, again, might have come from very dark places. Mm-hmm. But th- that's it. That's that's the only like good thing about Mrs. Elton. Right. Other than that, that she's hot. Yeah. She's hot. Um, she dresses very well. Yes. Which is a backhanded way of saying she's not that hot. <laughs> yeah. She's she's pleasant and dresses well. She, which she yeah. sucks and isn't pretty. Yeah, which is basically what Emma was trying to say about the whole situation. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, they both were just obsessed with this idea of making this match for these reasons. And in some ways, it's very transactional. In other ways, it could reveal something about who Elton is as a person mm-hmm. underneath it all that he chose this girl. Right. Instead of a Harriet or even someone with a, an ounce more integrity. Or uh, decorum. Mm. 
it shows where his priorities are at. Yeah, he doesn't care how you got your money as long as you have it. He also doesn't care who you are as long as you have money. Right. And that doesn't reflect well on him. And even if he does care who she is, he's attracted to this girl. To be fair, nothing was reflecting well on Elton already. (laughs) Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is like he... Like he's shown himself to be really shallow, yeah, in this way, like like profoundly so. Yeah, something that Mrs. Elton says is people who have extensive grounds themselves are always pleased with anything in the same style. And Emma's like, I don't think people with extensive grounds would care less about anybody else's grounds. Like, yeah, and she's like, but whatever, mm-hmm. but whatever. And she she says there's something about um she doesn't want to comment on such a double dyed compliment or like a double dyed statement what is double dyed is that like well, I think backhanded yeah backhanded mm. these are all like this is negging mm. as we've discussed it but from a lady yeah um and it continues to be negging because everything she's saying is like trying to establish like a power dynamic where she has power which is ridiculous yes. because emma's clearly the one with the higher social status here but she's married but she's married and yeah. also i mean not implicit here but the question is did elton say anything about emma Mm. to mrs elton beforehand (gasps) or about harriet we don't know that he might have like talked shit we don't know he probably did he's a (laughs) douchebag yo fuck elton so mrs elton so they start talking about like the the beauty of the grounds and stuff and emma says she's over exaggerating there's lots of beautiful places in surrey and mrs elton's like oh yes surrey is the garden of england and emma's like well i think a lot of places are called the garden of england and she's like no no this is the garden it's surrey and emma's like okay Uh, (laughs) and then mrs elton goes on to talk about um how her brother and sister are going to visit in the spring or summer and she wants to make sure they bring the barouche landau so they can explore and the way she was talking about it i guessed correctly that it's like a convertible but it's like a porsche convertible yeah it's it's got the retractable Mm -hmm. top um so that's she basically wants to like Roll the top down and explore the countryside. Yeah, it's also a fancy car. Yeah, she's essentially. I could gather that from like the number of times she said Barouche Landau. I was like, okay, stop. Yeah. So, like, we remember Knightley, a rich man. Mm-hmm. Um, he walks everywhere. Walks everywhere. Doesn't really use his carriage much, but he has a carriage, of course. Mm-hmm. But it's like a simple thing that he, you know, doesn't use very often. He's not going to rub it in people's faces. Yeah. Whereas we have here Mrs. Elton being like, oh, but my sister's Barouche Landau. Like, it's it's the type of person who's like, oh, yes, my Ferrari or I, I don't know anything about cars. Tesla. Oh, yes, my fucking Tesla. <laughs> yeah, it's that same status symbol of like, oh, yes, my car. This I don't want to brag or anything, but I do have this kind of car in particular. Yeah. And in this time, like a barouche is very expensive. You have to like maintain it. You have to maintain someone to drive it for you and you have to have horses. Mm-hmm. And so like it's an expensive endeavor. Only the richest families get to have it. So having a barouche is like a big deal. Right. And so um, she tells Emma that when they first got it, they explored King's Weston. And she says, oh, but you you must get tons of tourists like that here. And I was like, no, like it's kind of a quiet neighborhood. We like to stay home. And then that's when Mrs. Elton's like, oh, yes, staying home is the best. My sister would always say uh, that she couldn't get me to leave the house. But I, I, I'm not an advocate for entire seclusion. I think it's bad when people close themselves off from society entirely. But not like you. I mean, for you, it's because of your father's health and all of that. Tells them to go to bath. And Emma's like, bath is out of the question. Because <laughs> apparently Mr. Bennett, uh, Mr. Bennett, Mr. Woodhouse did go to bath and then mm-hmm. was like, nah. She's like, I'm sure you know Mr. Perry, but he said that it wouldn't help Mr. my my father any more now than it would then. And um, she's like, oh, but for you, the society, I could have Mrs. Partridge show you around and bring you out into society. And Emma's like, that is the the worst thing you could have said. Yeah, it's so fucking patronizing. Yeah. Emma's like so offended that she decides to change the subject. And she's like, um, you know, you're you're known in Highbury as a great musician. And Mrs. Elton's like, oh, no, Mr. Elton, Mr. E exaggerated my talents. Uh, but I know that you play delightfully. And she says that she loves music and she's used to being in a very musical society. And she told Mr. E that it would be a huge sacrifice to her if she were to enter into a non-musical society. Mm-hmm. She told Mr. Elton that she could give up the world, the parties, the balls, the plays, because her resources made her independent. I was like, what does that mean? Like, you have a good imagination or money? Oh, her resources. She could go do that whenever she wants. Yeah. I understand. Okay. (laughs) Her literal resources. 
Um, and she says she could give up large rooms, but she could not give up music. Without music, life would be a blank to her. And Emma says, well, I hope Mr. Elton hasn't over-exaggerated how musical the society is here as a way to persuade you to marry him. And Mrs. Elton's like, oh, no, I'm sure he didn't. And then she suggests that she and Emma form a musical club and have weekly meetings. And Emma's like, stab me in the face before I do that. <laughs> but she's like, oh, but you'll play. And then Mrs. Elton's just like, no, there's no way. All the married women I know have no time. I personally spent my morning talking to our housekeeper. So how would I have time to play music when I have to talk to my housekeeper as if Emma has no nothing else to do in her day? Mm -hmm. And Emma's like, oh, well, I'm sure that those things would all like fall into. And then Miss Elton cuts her off and she's like, no, or like, we'll see. I think she says, we'll see. And oh. Emma's like, well, I guess. You don't want to do it, so I'm not going to press the subject anymore. Mm -hmm. So then Mrs. Elton says that they went to Randall's, and she says she was astonished to find that Mrs. Weston was so ladylike. Which, I mean, Emma, it, she's lucky Emma didn't throw her through the window when she said that. Yeah, Emma's just like increasingly like turning red in the face, but like still smiling this whole time. Yeah, this is another backhanded compliment. Like, I can't believe she has such nice manners. I know she used to be a governess. Yeah. Mm. And Emma was like, She's always had great manners. She yeah. was my governess. She's, she's impeccable. She was a great she's role model. the best model. person in the world. Yeah. She's like, that's my best fucking friend. How dare you? <laughs> then Mrs. Elton's like, and, and you know who we saw when we were there? Nightly. Nightly. <laughs> this is my favorite part of these chapters for two reasons. This is like a nickname almost, mm -hmm. like calling someone a nickname instead of calling him Mr. Nightly. Mm -hmm. I'd be like if someone who didn't know oh I can't even think of a good example of this just like calling like a celebrity by their first name yeah it's like it's like uh if I were talking about Taylor I'd be like oh you know Taylor was saying the other day like no like like Taylor Swift or, yeah you don't yeah. know that person you call them by their full name exactly like Mr. Knightley so that's funny the part that I think is just spectacular is that Mr. Elton has told her that Mr. Knightley is like his best yeah. friend which made me laugh so hard because I forgot he did that yeah <laughs> because they like knew each other right like they were like passing acquaintances they're in the same society so like as you can tell they all like hang out together all the time mm -hmm. but like Knightley was the one to tell Emma that Elton was a gold digger Right, like he doesn't like him. I mean, they're fine. They they're like, fine. They like hang. They're not like, best friends. But they are not like special friends. No, Emma's Knightley's best friend. Obviously. <laughs> and Knightley is a grump. Yeah. So that was hilarious. It made my day. I was like, ah, yes, Mr. Elton's <laughs> biffle Knightley. Yeah. And um, you remember that Mr. Elton was always hanging out with Mr. Cole, but obviously he tells his wife his more impressive friend is Mr. Knightley. Right. You're right. Mr. Cole was probably his best friend. Mm -hmm. mm. Poor Mr. Cole. Poor Mr. Cole. And um, she says at the end of like her little thing, she's like, oh, my caro sposo, which means her dear husband need not be ashamed of his friend. I found him to be quite the gentleman. It's like. Like, why would he be ashamed of Mr. Knightley? First of all, second of all, like, you can't find Knightley to be a gentleman. He is a gentleman. Um, so then she leaves and Emma's like, I hate her. She goes on, like, a rant. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good one. Yeah. Should we just read it? Because I pretty much Go wrote everything it. down. Yeah. Insufferable woman. Worse than I had supposed. Absolutely insufferable. Nightly? I could not have believed it. Nightly? Never seen him in her life before and call him Nightly and discover that he is a gentleman? A little upstart vulgar being with her Mr. E and her Caro Sposo and her resources and all her airs of pert pretension and underbred finery. Actually, to discover that Mr. Nightly is a gentleman. I doubt whether he will return the compliment and discover her to be a lady. I could not have believed it. And to propose that she and I... You night to form a musical club one would fancy we were bosom friends and mrs weston astonished to find the person who had brought me up should be a gentlewoman worse and worse i never met with her equal much beyond my hopes harriet is disgraced by any comparison oh what would frank churchill say to her if he were here how angry and diverted he would be ah there i am thinking of him directly always the first person to be thought of how i catch myself out frank churchill comes as regularly into my mind <laughs> perfect perfect ramble from emma on yeah. this one and you can just see her wandering the halls of hartfield just being like i can't believe he 
says that knightly. How dare she call him knightly? Yeah. Like, it's so good. Yeah. Especially because, like, first of all, as you can see, like, Bitch Crackers has formed. Mm-hmm. It is there. Emma is not in on Augusta. No. <laughs> Augusta. Augusta. Uh, if she's going to call him knightly, I'm going to call her Augusta. Augusta. Yes. Because obviously we are team Emma as our protagonist. Yes. And also Mrs. Elton, you know, potentially the daughter of slave traders, you so, know, yeah. makes her even worse on that list. Yeah. But also just she sucks. Right. Yeah. It says that she says all of this or thinks all of this glibly, which I had to look up, which means confident, but simple and lacking careful thought aka she's just rambling and venting and spiraling Mm -hmm. her father says that mrs elton is very pretty and she clearly likes emma a lot but she speaks too quickly and has an annoying voice mr woodhouse not liking her is so funny because mr woodhouse likes everyone right he can find something good in everyone Mm -hmm. but you know what we just don't like augusta Mm -hmm. he says still she'll make mr elton a good wife even though he probably shouldn't have gotten married and he's like, oh, man, I should have called on them earlier. The fact that I didn't shows that I'm, I'm such an invalid. And, like, he's feeling bad about not having visited the married couple. Mm-hmm. And Emma's like, well, you know, Mr. Elton accepted your apologies. He knows you. And Mr. Woodhouse is like, yeah, but still, the, the bride. I should have given my congratulations to the bride. And Emma says, but you hate marriage. Why would you pay mm-hmm. your respects to a bride? It would encourage people to get married if you paid them respects. And he says that he would never encourage anyone to marry. But... You must always give proper attention to ladies, especially brides. And Emma says that's encouraging them to marry. She's surprised that he would do that. And he says he's only talking about being proper. And Emma thinks they're at an impasse because they're going back and forth. And she's like, I'm just going to go back to thinking about how much I hate Mrs. Elton. And she continues to pace the halls. Yes, perfect. So we end on Emma just furious with the idea that she has to keep society with this woman. Yes. All right. And that brings us to Becca's study questions. Hello. All right, so first of all, how has Frank Churchill changed Emma's perceptions on love? Well, I feel like at the beginning she was like, if I fall in love, I could marry, potentially. Even though like she doesn't think she'll ever fall in love. Mm-hmm. Now that she's fallen in love, she's like, okay, I can fall in love a little bit and still not get married. Mm-hmm. So she's seeing it more as like a minor inconvenience that, uh, she can like have as a blip like oh well, I'll just be in love for now it's also like a f- more than an inconvenience it's something she's kind of keeps cherished a little bit mm-hmm. like she's having fun with it she's luxuriating in it but also like how is this different than her crush on Frank well, before she met him and is it mm. is it different than her crush before she met him before she met him it was like something that she could fantasize about like she fantasized about one day marrying him Mm -hmm. before she met him she thought if I were to marry someone it would probably be Frank Churchill now she's met him and she's fallen in love with him a little bit but now she's fantasizing about not marrying him Mm -hmm. I don't really know what that says I mean essentially in some ways it's still Emma making up little stories about Frank Churchill in her head Mm -hmm. and luxuriating in him from afar Mm -hmm. and so in that regard, I mean, him being there, they had fun. But now that he's gone, she's acting exactly as she did before they met. Which yeah. is just kind of being, like, intrigued by him from afar. Yeah. With just a little bit more context to know exactly what he would say in certain situations. True. I leave it up to your interpretation as to what that means for how Emma's feeling about love right now. And what Emma knows and understands about love. Well, it's interesting. I feel like she's, before she was very like economical about love, but it was something that was far away and 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 something that she had not experienced and didn't know what it was like. And now, to be honest, I don't know that she's, ex- she's experiencing a crush, but I don't think she's in love with Frank Churchill. I don't think she knows the difference. Um, like, I mean, a crush is a little bit in love, but I think that like she's going to get hit with something at some time and she's going to be like oh this is actually not deniable the same way that that my love for frank churchill was okay we'll we'll see that answered my next question which is is emma in love yeah no i don't think so (laughs) are we team frank yet team frank yet um frank and harriet yeah yeah. (laughs) uh i think kind of so up till now i had kind of been like team frank and jane fairfax which i was putting together out of 
no context from the book. Um, but I was thinking that it's possible that he sent her the piano because he disappeared the day that the piano arrived. So I was team that. But now I'm like, I could be convinced. Okay. Yeah. So we we talked about this already a little bit, but we'll, I guess we'll elaborate on it. Let's talk about the, the relationship between Elton and Mrs. Elton and um, essentially whether or not they're in love, whether this transaction's been successful, uh, whether it's been more or less than it should be. I think they are not in love. I think that the transaction has been successful. They're both getting out of it exactly what they want to get out of it. I think that I like don't admire them or anything, but... I guess good for them for having married someone with the amount of money and uh, stature in society. Yeah, exactly. That they wanted. So, yeah, I think that's all true. And I would also add, I think that the Eltons, first of all, Mrs. Elton being what she is, does say something about who Mr. Elton is Mm -hmm. and does tell us a little bit more about what was lurking underneath that we got a glimpse of when he left, mm-hmm. but didn't see in full before then. Yeah. He sucks. Sucks. And that's why he chose her as his life partner. But there is another thing here, which I think still happens today, of almost playing dress up at marriage. Like doing it so over the top and so excitedly that it's kind of like the idea that having a marriage itself is something to be patted on the back for. Now, in this society, obviously, the pressure to get married is much higher, especially for women, because that's how you secure your place in life. But, I mean, these two are clearly obsessed with the fact that they got married and are almost playing pretend at a life together in a way that um, is very grating on at least the reader and I think clearly on Emma. Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think that that's all either of them wanted to get out of it. Like neither of them was looking for love or looking for Mm -hmm. a happy marriage. They were just looking for marriage. Mm -hmm. So I think that's exactly what they got out of it. And I think ultimately in this time period, you could consider that a success. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Did Elton make the right choice? For him? Yes. And also for us, yes, because I wouldn't want him to end up with Harriet because I want her to do better. Yeah, dodged a bullet. Yeah. Is what we're learning here. Yeah. The right choice for Mr. Elton would be to like go join a monastery and like be off on his own somewhere. (laughs) Right choice for Mr. Elton is to stay away from women generally. Yeah. Although if we're going to force one woman to be married to Mr. Elton. Mrs. Elton's not a bad pick. Yeah, it might as well be Augusta Hawkins. Exactly. Yeah. Augusta Hawkins. Ugh. Speaking of, let's talk about Augusta Hawkins as a character, who she is, the view we're getting of her, and how our view is informed by Emma's view. Yeah, so she's a miserable person. Like, when I was reading this, I was like, she isn't happy about anything in a way that like she just like isn't looking for happiness she's looking for a very specific life for herself and she's got it which is like good for her I guess but like when I was reading it I wasn't actually sure if I was you know I'm I'm aware that Emma is an unreliable narrator so I was trying to read it from like like try to get like give her the benefit of the doubt basically and I was like she's trying really hard with Emma at times like I was like oh when Emma says that people like to stay home, she was like, oh, yeah, staying home's the best. Like when I was at uh, Maple Grove, I loved to stay home and like my sister could never get me to get out of the house, but like, but not too much. But like, you know, and then and then she went and gave the backhanded thing of like, well, I think that people shouldn't uh, stay home all the time. But like I thought for a moment, I was like, she's trying hard to be Emma's friend. But then I think you're right that Perhaps she was only doing that because Mr. Elton talked some shit. Well, it's possible it's two things Mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, at the same time, she wants to establish herself as superior to Emma Mm -hmm. um, and wants to be Emma's friend because Emma's clearly the most eligible friend for her in this society the highest ranked woman she wants to impress and intimidate emma exactly and i think she sees herself as the natural companion to emma 
which Emma disagrees with. Everyone thinks that they're Emma's natural. Everyone's like, oh, Jane Fairfax is going to be your best friend. And ever, and then Mrs. Elton's like, I'm going to be your best friend. And Emma's like, Harriet's my best friend. Yeah. And Mr. Knightley. And Mr. Knightley's obviously her best friend. And Mrs. Weston. Yeah, yeah. She has friends. She doesn't need more friends. Someone said recently, I don't remember what it was in, but someone was like, how many best friends do you have? And they like retorted, best friend is not a person. It's a class. <laughs> and I was like, that's so true. So true. <laughs> but- because Emma is the richest and highest status person in Highbury, everyone wants to be her friend because she is a favorable connection. Right. And it kind of must suck for Emma because, like, she's a favorable connection. But what about, like, who she is as a person? Like, who wants to be friends with her as a person? Everyone, because she's charming as hell. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, that's, like, don't feel bad for Emma because Emma knows how much everyone wants to be her friend. And she knows that she has a position in society and it's gone to her fucking head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which brings us to what is augusta hawkins in this story what is augusta hawkins in this story in some ways you could read a mrs elton as a sort of bad reflection of emma's worst qualities Mm. because yes because of what we were talking about before with the things that she was that emma was saying she hates about augusta hawkins that i was like don't you kind of do that exactly like like she was saying oh you know she's rude and overbearing i forget exactly what you said she said she's too familiar and she only gets her ideas of society from a specific group of people yes that's exactly it emma is very closed off she only gets her society from a specific group of people she has like six people that she sees regularly yes um ms hawkins is everyone talks about what a great piano player she is and then she just undercuts her piano playing and it's like it's been exaggerated Emma, um, mm-hmm. there's a sort of bowling over of everybody else and uh, saying kind of rude things, mm-hmm. despite the fact that you are in polite company and you are not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a single-minded self-centeredness and self-importance mm-hmm. to Mrs. Elton for her position in society, mm-hmm. her marriage in society, and also like the money she has and the connections to her rich state that Mm -hmm. she has yeah I was gonna say the money thing like Emma's like her resources but Emma is so aware of her wealth and so aware that like she doesn't want to associate with people below a certain wealth status and she only does it out of charity when she Mm -hmm. has to yes and our girl Emma flawed very flawed we know this and clearly like it's difficult to see from either the perspective of Emma herself Mm -hmm. or just because we just met Mrs. Elton, whether or not she has any of those redeeming qualities that Emma has. Yeah. But in this refracted mirror, part of what's so grating about Mrs. Elton for Emma is seeing someone reflect her own worst qualities back at her. Yeah. But I think that Emma's not aware that that's what's grating on her yet. I think like, yes, that is what the problem is. But I think that she hasn't noticed that she does those things. She's like, why does this bother me so much? And it's like, oh, it's because you're feeling guilty, Emma. But I think there's going to be a moment, hopefully, where she realizes that's me. I'm hoping. What do you think of Emma? Mmm, flawed. <laughs> flawed and, and a good friend to Harriet. Um, I think she is addicted to matchmaking. She- <laughs> Is she keeps saying she's not gonna do it, and then she's like, "Oh, but I want you so bad." So I'm I'm excited to see where it goes with that. Funniest quote. Um, I had a uh, two in this one. One was they say everybody is in love once in their lives, and I shall have been let off easily. And another was she would not be in a hurry to find fault, but and then like the list of faults that she could find in Mrs. Elton. Fantastic choices. Yeah. Questions moving forward. I'm curious if they will form a musical club. (laughs) I think they probably will not, but I'm curious about like how often we're going to be seeing Mrs. Elton. Um, I'm curious. I think it's been a while since we've seen Mr. Martin. So I would like to like get him back in the mix. And what does Knightley think of Mrs. Elton? I I feel like they, I just like want to hear his reactions to her. Yeah. And then like, will Frank come back? Great questions. Who wins the chapters? Mm, 
I mean, probably Mrs. Elton. Like, she comes out with what she wants. The lady has no complaints so far, except that Emma's being kind of a bitch to her when she was like, aren't we supposed to be friends? Yeah, so she wins in terms of, like, who gets what she wants, and Emma wins for snark. Okay, so one point to Emma Woodhouse for being sassy as fuck. (laughs) One point to fucking Augusta Hawkins Elton for getting that ring on her finger that she's so smugly taking pictures of for Instagram. Mm Mm-hmm. Listeners, that concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice. For next time, you're going to read the next two chapters, volume two, chapters 15 and 16, or if you're not in the volumed book, chapters 33 and 34. Molly, you ready to do that? I am so ready. All right, then. Well, until next time, stay proper. I mean, not to go old school, but stay proper and find yourself a husband. (laughs) Just like Augusta Hawkins did. Yeah. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.